Good morning. We're going to be reading um, from Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, and this is in the ESV version. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening service. I mean, excuse me, of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is God's word. We took a couple of weeks of a break from the book of Daniel. We've been working through the winter and now into the spring on this amazing Old Testament book by uh, a Hebrew prophet who lived almost his entire life as an exile, as a political refugee, who actually had a remarkably distinguished political career through both the Babylonian and Persian empires um, in the sixth century BC. Daniel and his friends, their example of how people of faith can flourish in a challenging time is a real blessing to you if you are someone who is living by faith in the God of the Bible. If you are a Christian living in a society that is increasingly less and less sympathetic to your Christian worldview, your Christian presuppositions about truth, about right and wrong, about what motivates human beings, about the grand story of history and our purpose and our creator. Daniel and his friends provide a wonderful example of how people can flourish, can follow Jesus Christ, even when their setting, when their surrounding is unsympathetic or even hostile to their way of faith. Now, you might remember, the first half of the book of Daniel, the first six chapters, are basically historical narrative. 
you read those chapters and they focus on Daniel's and his friends' experiences, their real life experiences. And what we discovered is that through Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's experiences, they discovered and we see in Daniel chapters one through six that no matter what was happening in the world and in their lives, God was in control. Now, the second half of the book of Daniel, and we're well into that part right now, the second half, chapters 7 through 12, are apocalyptic literature. And those chapters focus on Daniel's visions and prophecies, and those amazing prophecies and confusing visions reveal the exact same point as the first six chapters. No matter what is happening in human history and in our lives, as one author says, God is still in control. So the first six chapters of historical experiences and the last six chapters of bizarre, symbolic, apocalyptic visions, they communicate the same thing. No matter what's happening, God is in control. Despite the bizarre nature of these visions that Daniel keeps having one after another, they speak of tremendous hope. It's okay to be confused about these visions as long as we understand they speak hope, especially these 70 weeks that we discover in Daniel chapter 9. So you might remember from the first half of Daniel chapter 9, he was confessing his personal sins and the corporate sins of the people of Israel, his ancestors confessing. He was confessing the sins that led Israel and Judah into their exile. And Daniel is prayer, fasting, ashes on his head, pleading with God for forgiveness on behalf of his people and asking God to end the exile and restore his people to their land. And in the middle, in the middle of that prayer, there's a great interruption, right? And Daniel gets an answer to his prayer. The angel Gabriel once again shows up in flight and interrupts Daniel's prayer. And Daniel gets an answer, but it was not the answer he expected based on how he was praying in the first half of the chapter, right? I wonder how many of you, how many of us are wrestling right now with unmet expectations in life? Let's even just talk about the last year and a half. How many of us are wrestling with unmet expectations? And let me be more direct. How many of us are wrestling with unanswered prayers? What have you been praying for? Think about it. What have you prayed for? Did you receive it? Are you still waiting? And what do you think about that? Something about Christianity in the Bible is highlighted here in Daniel chapter 9, these last seven verses. The Bible and the kind of Christianity that comes out of the Bible is really unique amongst all world religions because this type of religion is not transactional. True Christianity is not transactional religion. What I mean by transactional religion is you give certain things to God and he gives you certain things in return. The Bible doesn't work that way. The God of the Bible doesn't work that way. He doesn't relate that way to humanity. The Bible's message to the core is not transactional, but personal. It's about relationship. And as a matter of fact, you don't have Christianity without the personal nature 
of God's relationship with his people. Not transactional, but personal. And I hope you will see today that the Bible's God, Daniel's God, gives more than the details. He gives us himself. Christianity is not just intellectual or theoretical or abstract. It's not just a system of rules and laws. It's not just a methodology. It is a relationship. The God of the Bible gives us himself. And all the details and even the details we cannot understand all points us to him. And I want to talk about his promises. I want to talk about the promises that God details specifically in his word, the Bible. And I want to talk about the promises that he obscures because sometimes they're confusing and sometimes we don't understand them. And as we try and relate them to our lives, we remain confused because our lives aren't all worked out, aren't all figured out. And finally, I want to talk about the promises that God fulfills because he fulfills them all. The promises that God specifically details and the promises that remain obscure to us and the promises that, despite their obscurity, he ultimately fulfills, okay? So the promises that God details in Scripture, especially here in Daniel chapter 9, are amazing. And we're going to look at it briefly. So the angel Gabriel appears again, and he announces to Daniel these 70 weeks, right? Or in the original Hebrew, these 77s, uh, 70 portions, right? Weeks really mean groups of years. 77s or 70 weeks of time. Now, what does that mean? What is Daniel trying to say? Was he referring to 70 years? Or was Gabriel referring to the 70 years that Daniel had prayed about? Jeremiah's prophecy, an exile of 70 years? Or is he speaking about 70 weeks or 70 gaps of time? What's going on? Well, if you, by precedent, go back to the Torah, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, there's a portion in which God commands the Israelites to celebrate the year of Jubilee. Every, it was an amazing time every 50 years when all debts in Israel were canceled. And if, if there were slaves back then, they were released and set free. It was a wonderful celebration year. And this is what Moses said, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years, right? So weeks may mean uh, every seven years the land was supposed to have a Sabbath, right? So, so a week represented probably seven years, 49 years, seven times seven. And he goes, and you shall consecrate the 50th year. It shall be a jubilee for you. So if we use that precedent that formula of calculation, we're not sure, but that's very possible, then these 70 weeks, right, 77s would equal 490 years, sort of like a super jubilee, Glenn Parkinson says in his commentary on Daniel, 490 years. Now, what's going to happen during that time of 490 years? Well, Gabriel details it in verse 24, he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city 
to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal or to authenticate both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place or, or to anoint a most holy thing. This is amazing. Because Daniel was asking for forgiveness, right? For himself, on behalf of his people, the Jews. But this was God's answer. Daniel, not only am I going to forgive, but I'm going to eradicate sin forever. Everlasting righteousness. Daniel asks for one thing, and God reveals to him so much more. But then the amazing details get more specific and more confusing, right? Because as you keep reading, Gabriel takes those 70 weeks and, and if you will, 490 years, and then he breaks them apart into subgroups of years. He talks about uh, seven weeks and then 62 weeks after that, or if you follow the original Hebrew more closely, some English translations say seven plus 62 weeks. Right? So there's not even agreement on how Gabriel breaks up the categories of years. Bottom line is whether it's, 70, uh, whether it's seven, then 62 weeks, or seven and 62, you eventually get to 69 weeks if you do your simple math. And then there's even another breakdown. After the 69 weeks, Gabriel mentions one more week, and then he divides it into two half weeks, which would be three and a half years if, if you think of a week as seven years, and eventually you get to these bizarre 70 weeks, right? And you think, oy vey, what is going on here? And you know, various interpretations have been debated on this quite literally for thousands of years. Now, you may want to recall what I've talked about uh, weeks ago uh, on how, what perspective I'm coming from in interpreting apocalyptic literature like Daniel and Revelation and portions of Jesus' teaching in, in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, how I'm trying to distinguish literal interpretation of Daniel from literalistic interpretation of Daniel. You might remember from weeks ago, the exile's guide to the apocalypse. And I just want to focus on those five principles on the very last one for today, the difference between interpreting it literalistically and literally. To interpret Daniel literally is to respect the original genre of apocalyptic literature in ancient times. To interpret Daniel literalistically is really, in a sense, to, um, with total respect to other systems of interpretation, is, I think, to enforce our curiosity onto the text, not take it for how it was originally intended. But to interpret it literally is to see the whole forest and get the big picture. To interpret it literalistically is to focus on each and every tree well intended, but then you lose the big picture and you may miss the entire meaning. And it's confusing enough that you're not even sure by focusing on each tree if you're getting the exact truth. What's the big picture? What's Daniel and Gabriel here trying to communicate? What is God saying through the angel? That's ultimately what we have to figure out. And if you interpret this literally, not literalistically, then you will discover that Gabriel's words to Daniel symbolically, symbolically pointed 
to a future series of events, a future sequence of events that would both mark an end to the current exile that Daniel and his people were living through and would mark the beginning of the eternal reign of the Son of Man. Mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, one coming with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man who was given all authority and whose kingdom would last forever. You remember that? Or in Daniel chapter 2, the vision, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's vision of a statue with, with four parts, and there was a rock that broke the statue apart, and that rock, not cut by human hands, grew into a mountain that filled the whole earth. Remember that? God's eternal kingdom that, out will, that will outlast all human governments. Well, this vision, this series of events that Gabriel foretells in these 70 weeks would usher in that amazing eternal kingdom of the Son of Man. That's what to to take this literally would mean. The exile is going to come to an end, but so much more is going to take place. Now, as an aside, if you identify... In verse, 20, uh, verse 25, it says, from the time that a word will go out to rebuild Jerusalem, if you identify that time to rebuild Jerusalem as 445 BC, according to the prophet, according to the book of Nehemiah, 445 BC, a century after Daniel is seeing this vision in 539 BC, okay, 100, almost 100 years later, when Artaxerxes the uh, king of Persia, told Nehemiah and the Jews to go back and rebuild the walls. See, you're not even sure where to begin this 490-year timeline, timeline, but if you start the timeline from 445 B.C., and you move forward, let's see, 69 weeks, right? So 69 weeks is 483 years by lunar calendar, okay? So we have a solar calendar. The ancient Babylonians and Persians and the ancient Israelites used a lunar calendar 360 days a year. So if you move forward from 445 BC, 483 years, uh, you actually, because look, uh, hold on, let me go back. Verse 26 says what? That an anointed one will be cut off, okay? When was that going to happen? Well, 483 years, lunar years from 445 BC would bring you to 30 AD, which is when most people believe Jesus of Nazareth was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, an anointing that began Christ's three-year earthly ministry before he was crucified and rose from the dead. If this reckoning is true... And that's an if because you have to do some real interpretive calisthenics to get there. If that is true, then that is obviously remarkable. Six centuries, six centuries before the life of Christ, detailing to such that degree. Let's just put that aside. That's amazing. But let's just put that aside for a minute because I'd rather emphasize the big picture here of the 77s. This is the big picture. With great detail, God answered Daniel's prayer. I'm going to do more, Daniel, than simply forgive you and your people. I'm even going to do more, Daniel, than bring your people back to their place. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. That was more than Daniel prayed for. 
But like life's hardest questions, most difficult dilemmas, like our longest unmet prayer requests, our greatest longings for relief and understanding and all that we go through, right? We can't with confidence cipher all the details. Whether it's a prophecy or whether it's how to get through the next week without a paycheck, how to reconcile that broken relationship, how to navigate the challenging dynamics of the time in which we live. We can't with confidence cipher all the details, can we? Expectations remain unmet. Prayers appear to go unanswered. The promises that God obscures. He gives details, but so many of them remain obscure. Those promises are often confusing and sobering, right? Though we look back on the mysteries that you see here in Daniel chapter 9, the mysterious details, we look back with the benefit of historical knowledge and we debate what the details might mean, what those details could point to, whom and where they might point. Daniel heard this all from Gabriel fresh. All these visions and dreams that Daniel was blessed to receive, he heard it all fresh. He saw it all immediately with no sense of the who's, the what's, the where's, the when's. Daniel learned that God had intricate plans for the future. Notice God doesn't ignore him. God lays it all out in detail, but... Daniel didn't know much else. Daniel knew God has amazing plans, but I'm not really sure what they mean. Even when he was given an answer, he had to wait. He had to work hard. Remember we talked about weeks ago, just keep swimming. That's Pixar theology, Disney Pixar theology, just keep swimming. He had to keep swimming. He had to work hard and wait and live by faith. And although God had said in verse 26, desolations are decreed. Because you remember Daniel was praying earlier, Lord, your people and your land and your city lie desolate. God is saying to Daniel, the desolation is not over. It's going to continue for centuries into the future. Desolations are decreed. Beyond the exile, much suffering would still come. And to our day, today, much suffering for God's people still exists. But God also said in verse 27, what? The decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The one or the ones who would bring great persecution against God's people would be brought to an end themselves. So you see that God will bring justice. God will bring peace, will bring peace. God will bring everlasting Righteousness And Daniel had to hold that tension there as he lived his life. Desolations will continue, but God is going to bring them to an end. So, so, expect God to answer you. I'm talking about us. Your prayers, as, expect God to answer them. But leave the timing to him. Leave the details to him. Moses had said to the Israelites, Long before Daniel, Deuteronomy chapter 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. See, what's hidden, what's not clear to you, that belongs to God. But 
Moses said, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that a comfort? Some things don't belong to us, but the things God has revealed, we own them. They're for us and our children to do his will. He's given us enough information. He's given us enough detail to flourish now. We have enough to flourish, to be salt, to be light. If you are not a Christian, if you are confused and don't know the God of the Bible, he's already given humanity enough to flourish by knowing him and then truly knowing ourselves. He's given us enough to do his will and to receive his grace and forgiveness his reconciliation, and his assurance that he will right all wrongs. So the Christian must trust in a God who has the details but doesn't reveal to us all the details. Isn't that the faith of a child that we hear Jesus talk about? Isn't that the difference between childlike faith versus adolescent-like faith? If you're a teenager, if you're an adolescent, no offense to you, love you, glad you're here, listen up. Not just you, but everybody. Here's the difference between childlike faith and adolescent-like faith. A childlike faith says, when will we get there? When will we get there? Right? The child assumes that the parent has all the details figured out. The child just wants to know when. And that's a legitimate question of faith. How many times do we see the Psalms say, how long, O Lord? How long will this continue? How long will we suffer? Just like Ed said last week, Habakkuk the prophet, how long, O Lord? Why must I watch violence and injustice take place? So saying, mom, dad, when are we going to get there is a legitimate question of faith. The child assumes we're going to get there, assumes the parent knows where they're going, but just wants to know how long. But the adolescent says, not when will we get there, but why are we going this way? Why are we taking that route? That is the difference between faith and skepticism. When will we get there versus why are you taking us there this way? That's the difference between faith and unbelief. The answers that you envision are not, listen, the answers that you envision are not God's priority. That's hard to hear, I know. But we see it right here. Daniel had, Daniel was envisioning a return for the people and an end to the exile, and God said, I'm not as worried about the exile as you are. Desolations will continue. But let me tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. So ask yourself, are you impatient for answers? Do you want more details than God has given us? Often it's that we want a God who listens to us and responds to us with answers that we want, with gifts and solutions that we like. And that's why some of you doubt that God is real. That's why some people doubt that God is good or that he is capable of doing what's right. 
And at the root of all of that, at the root of unbelief, at the root of skepticism and doubt, really, if you, if you really listen to your own story, if you listen to the story of someone who is just a devout skeptic, eventually it becomes very personal. At the heart of the story of unbelief is unmet expectation and unanswered prayer. But our deepest relationships are not transactional. They're personal, right? The deepest, most authentic relationships in your life are not, I do this and you give me that. They're personal. You love, you're loved simply because of who you are. You're loved because of the commitment of the other person. Not transactional, personal. Daniel's God is personal. The God of the Bible is personal. Do we want him, we have to ask ourselves. As we think about our unanswered prayers and our unmet expectations, we have to ask ourselves, do we want the one to whom we're praying? Are we as passionate for him? Are we as earnest for knowing him as we are for the mysteries that he reveals that we want to understand? Didn't God call him? Didn't Daniel call God in Daniel chapter two when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, a God who reveals mysteries? Are you more passionate and earnest for the one who reveals mysteries or for the mysteries themselves? Are you simply about understanding more and demanding that he explains it all to you and provides it all for you or are you more passionate for him? If you are not more passionate for him, then your religion is only transactional. And that's not what God's playing at. He offers us so much more. The answers and the details that you want are really not God's priority, but listen, you are. You want God to explain and fix so much for you. That's not God's priority, but you are. You are his priority because he's not transactional, he's personal. Some of the promises that God has detailed in the Bible, although they have been obscured for so long, are still ultimately fulfilled. All that Daniel and his people for centuries felt was obscure was eventually brought into the light, right? The confusing details of the 70 weeks were obscure enough for centuries, millennia of debate, even to this day, but what is abundantly clear, and therefore what is abundantly enough for us, is an empty tomb and a risen Jesus. The Apostle Paul, when he was trying to uh, talk to the, explaining to the Corinthians how his word meant his word, his yeses meant yes to them. He described the Lord Jesus. He said, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ was not yes and no. He was not inconsistent like you and, and, and I are inconsistent. No, he says, Jesus was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. All that you desire, all that you are waiting for, all that you have asked for are met in a person. Not in the details, 
The details are about that person. The information leads you to a person, to a vibrant relationship with the God of the universe. Everything that we must know, not the secret things, not the hidden things, but the revealed things, all that we must know, who God is, who we are, how to be forgiven by him, how to have peace right now, how to have an unshakable hope in the future and in the final fulfillment of all his promises, although they don't make a whole lot of sense to us right now, all that we really must know, God has already revealed in his son, which as Paul said in Ephesians, is abundantly more than we have asked for or have imagined. That's enough. Jesus is enough. And if you want to boil down what it means to be a Christian, every struggle in life, every difficulty, every fear, every unmet expectation, every unanswered prayer, we say Jesus is enough. The Bible's God gives you more than details. He gives you what the details point to, himself. I hope you see, I hope you see through Daniel's experience that God is communicating to his people, I am enough for you. Biblical revelation is not transactional, it is personal, because that's who God is. He's not a force, he's not a system, he's not an object, he's not a theory or a methodology. He calls himself I am that I am. And his plans for the world's renewal are great. He didn't just say, Daniel, shut up. He said, I have plans. They are so specific and they are long reaching. And you have to wait to see them unfold. His plans are great, they are specific, and they are long reaching. So expect him to answer you in your prayer life. Let's expect him as a community of faith to answer our prayers, to do his will, and to see his will done here. But we have to leave the timing and the details to him. That's for him. Let's rejoice in what he has revealed. And let's keep our eyes on his son, Jesus Christ. He is enough. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we've asked for so many things, many of them good things. And as we have not received them, and as we continue to wait, we confess our frustration. We even confess our doubt. So help us rejoice in what you have revealed. Help us have peace and hope in who you have revealed, the Son of God, the Son of Man, sacrifice for us, risen from the dead, whose kingdom shall never end, who is returning. Oh, may Jesus be enough for us. And I pray for my friends here, whatever their struggles are, whatever personal, private, or corporate struggles we have, even as you have called us to, to study and to plan and to work hard and to keep swimming, may you be enough for us. In the name of our Son who revealed you to us, his Son, amen.